You're tuning into the Active Mom Podcast with physical therapist, Dr. Carrie Pagliano, a real mom's guide to all things postpartum return to workouts after baby. If you're a postpartum mom, coach, trainer, or physical therapist looking for answers on how to get back to running, CrossFit, yoga, Pilates, HIIT, you name it without the fear of pelvic floor issues or doing something wrong, this is the podcast for you. Let's start the show. All right. So if there's one thing that I love, it's watching moms that become really big advocates for pelvic health and their PTs and had no sense that this was ever in their future. Um, But it's such a lovely journey to watch happen. And that's what has happened with um, Margot Kwiatkowski. And she spelled it out to me so nicely. Um, I basically was just kind of like uh, stalking her on Instagram because again, if your handle is postpartum prolapse and you've got balls enough to put that one out there, um, I'm going to pay attention. So Margot, thanks for being on the Active Mom Postpartum Podcast. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about, you did not go into PT school thinking that you were going to be in pelvic floor PT. You were like on another Avenue. Tell us a little bit, kind of your your start in PT. Yeah, totally. So I actually um, had a skiing accident as a kid. Went to PT, and I was like, "This is amazing! I can get a higher level degree and work with humans. This is a perfect melding of the things I want to do." So I wanted to emphasize my specialties in sport and orthopedics. Um, I did have a personal experience with pelvic health before going into PT school, and I was like, maybe at some point way down the line, I'll do some, you know, specialize a little bit or dip my, dip my hands a little bit into the pelvic health realm. And then right out of grad school, I worked in professional sports for a bit and then came back to an outpatient ortho clinic. A colleague of mine, this is kind of a roundabout story, but ended up getting diagnosed with breast cancer and she had a pelvic caseload and I was the only one who had some experience from school. So I started seeing a handful of her patients. And so I was thrown in a little bit um, before I was, before I wanted to, but it was, it was perfect, honestly. And then very quickly after that, got pregnant with my first, was diagnosed with pelvic organ prolapse at week three, and it changed my life and turned things around for me. And so now my um, caseload is very heavy pelvic health. I took all the coursework, and now I, I feel like I'm a specialist in, in prolapse just because of my own experience, and I wanted to yeah. tell the whole world about it um, because we don't talk about it enough for young people. It's so commonly heard for for older people, menopausal women. Um, yeah about it happening right after childbirth. And so here I am telling the world my story. <laughs> yeah. So think back to like, where, where'd you go to PT school? I went to Cal State Northridge. Okay. So think back sitting in PT school. Do you remember a lecture on this at all and what your thoughts were? Or did they even mention prolapse back then? I did not learn about prolapse in PT school. I remember I had one that was like um, partially pelvic and partially ortho. And I did see a few prolapses and I was like, what is this? Like, what, you know, what does this mean? How do we manage this? And I learned a little bit about it, but not enough. What we learned in PT school was one, maybe three hour lecture on the musculature and what was, and that was about it. Right. And, and that's, I think, I mean, we've got Marymount university here locally and I'm lucky enough to, to be adjunct there. And I'm like, look, no enough to refer out. So hopefully you at least learned that piece of it. <laughs> yes, and absolutely. I did so many great screening tools out there now to, to determine if someone's a candidate for pelvic floor therapy. Yeah, well, and, and I think that brings up a good point too, is like, I mean, we're just talking a short number of years because you finished PT school, how long ago? In 2019. 
Okay, so not that long. Mm -hmm. And just between then and your clinical and now, I feel like is this beautiful renaissance of we have a lot more discussion, we have a lot more tools, like those first, you know, pelvic floor patients, when you're picking up the caseload for your colleague, like, do you remember what you would do with prolapse patients or, or with prolapse symptoms? Yeah. And I, I remember understanding the basics of pressure management. And I knew that Kegels weren't always the answer for people. But for me at that point, it was a lot of troubleshooting of like, well, let's maybe try this for a couple of yeah. weeks and that, see if that works. And sometimes I still do that with patients, but now I feel like I've seen enough and done enough research and experienced it myself that someone just in their subjective report, I'm like, okay, we're going to start here. Yeah. I've seen it enough times and I really think this will work. And sometimes I get totally thrown around and I'm like, whoa, that was not, not what I expected to happen. Right. But um, I feel like I'm a much, much wiser clinician after having my own personal experience and really getting into the research on it. It definitely, I feel like it definitely flavors the, how you look at patients a little bit differently. Like, like going into pregnancy, you know, did you have any expectations and kind of going through that process? I, I, I feel like we're, we all kind of have this idea of what's going to happen. And then there's this magic portal that you step through once you deliver. And then all of a sudden, everything everybody warned you about kind of makes sense, or you see it in a whole new light. Like, what was your experience as a PT in pregnancy? Yeah, my pregnancy was amazing. I was able to strength train the whole time. I had no symptoms. I vomited one time and it was like, it was a, so it was great. Like, I'm a little jealous, frankly. <laughs> I was like, so, okay, awesome. So my, you know, my rehab is going to be, I'm setting myself up for a perfect recovery. Mm. In the hospital, I knew something was wrong. And I also had some, like a nerve damage. It was not long lasting. It was kind of short term nerve damage to my bladder. And I couldn't feel any urgency and I had no bladder. Mm. And I remember telling the nurses and the physicians, something's really wrong with my bladder. I, you know, I, I'm having a ton of incontinence and everyone told me, oh, it's, it's normal. It's okay. It's okay. And I'm like, right. I'm a medical professional. I do this for a living. This is not normal. And that was the moment right. when I was like, what is going on? Why are people not listening or hearing? I don't know if it was, they weren't hearing me or they, something was, something was not being communicated, mm -hmm. uh, the severity of what I was experiencing. And I felt so dismissed. And now it's like such a priority of mine to never do that to someone else. Um, yeah. At what point, like, are you realizing this in the moment or, cause I'm also thinking of like the fog of immediate postpartum when all the, 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 the endorphins and the hormones and all that is going on. Like at what point are you processing this? Yeah, no, in the moment I wasn't thinking those things. I was really scared. I was very, yeah. very, and <clears throat> then it turned into anger mm. because one was telling me, you're going to get better. It's fine. You know, I understand you have a prolapse, but like no one understood. No one really got me because mm. none had experienced it to the severity that I did. My doctors are telling me it's normal. They're telling me my bladder will be fine. And then I'm like, I just got so angry. And my, <laughs> my husband and a good friend had to have an intervention with me and say, you need to see a therapist because yeah. you know, there's more going on here than just your physical self. Yeah. And it wasn't until I had gotten on antidepressants and started processing my experience with a therapist that I realized, okay, something has to change here for women. Um, because, and if, I, and if I don't do anything, I don't know who, you know, I'm sure others are doing yeah. it. There's a couple of us who are just putting our whole yeah. life and sharing our stories, but it has to start with us because we yeah. have to 
we have to be the ones who tell the physicians and nurses, hey, actually, this is what's going on with my body. And I need to prioritize these things. And hopefully then they can learn from our experience and take that to treating the other yeah. patients. When, when was the first time that you recall someone mentioning to you prolapse versus when you started Googling? Okay. So two day, three days postpartum, I texted my clinical instructor from my pelvic health internship. Mm, good thing you had that person in your back pocket. Yep. And this she, is after vaginal well, delivery. Yep. This is how long were you pushing all that stuff? I had a vaginal delivery with an epidural and I pushed for three hours. Um, I pushed mainly on my sides. I hung out in quadruped for a long time. I labored down. I did all the things, right? Yeah. The yeah. I ended up um, like throwing up at the last minute and that pushed my son out. And I was like, great. Okay. That was like the pressure needed. <laughs> Two for one. Right. And I was like, great. And that worked out well. But yeah, so I texted my clinical instructor and I told her about the bladder stuff. Cause that was the first sign was like, something is going on with you my bladder. Feel so Nope. I could. And so she goes, I think you, she didn't say, I think you have a prolapse. She goes, treat it as if it was a prolapse. Mm. Hmm. Okay. And then I took a look with a mirror and I didn't see anything. And then I did it's like the classic three week symptom onset when mm -hmm. your goes down. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, something's wrong. And I see this so often with postpartum patients. Yeah. That oh, I did something wrong at two weeks or three weeks. I lifted my toddler. I yeah, went it's, that long walk. No, it's never that. It's never that. It's yeah. that you likely had a ton of swelling. Your organs were supported from all the swelling and blood flow. And then that started to decrease. And now all of a sudden your nervous system sensing that yeah. there was, that happened to me. And then I could see it, feel it. And that's what I knew. So three weeks. And then I went to the yeah. guy, confirmed and here we are. <laughs> when um, when you said you looked, had you ever looked down there before? Yes, a lot. Okay. So you're like, mm -hmm. okay. And you looked like pre-pregnancy, pregnancy. You're like, I am familiar with the real estate. I know the view. Yep. What do you remember what was going through your mind when you first looked? When I very, very first looked and I didn't see a prolapse, I was like, wow, there's a lot of swelling. Mm -hmm. Kind of looks like what it looked like at the end of my pregnancy where the labia are really swollen and purple. Yep. And then saw the prolapse almost in my mind it feels like a traumatic moment where yes. I knew exactly what it was and I was like shit <laughs> that is exactly what it is I didn't know yeah. what it was I didn't hang out looking for too long because I was my nervous system was not in a state to like really process what was happening in that moment so I just remember thinking okay well this is my life now like this is yeah this is not normal. And, and of course my symptoms got worse right after that because I looked. And so that was a question that I had for you because you have a, a library that you um, offer to, to it's, it's private. Obviously you're not going to show it to everybody, but you have a library of prolapse pictures. And I, I was really curious as to what kind of like, what do you say to people to be like, Hey, this might be a great idea and this may not be a good idea considering your own experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really cool. There's like 200 images on there. And what I love about it is that there's such a variety of vaginas and vulvas on there. And so it's normalizing what a postpartum body is going to look like. Right. There are some big swings in what would be considered, I guess, normal or not normal. Yeah. Most fascinating about it is that, people's symptoms are do not correlate with how severe no. they are. 
not even close. I mean, there are some where I look at them. I don't, you know, obviously I don't, I don't put any input onto these photos, but the community members have a conversation about what they're seeing. I don't put any input. They're not my patients, but yep. there's that are submitted. And I look at them and I'm like, that looks really, really normal. Maybe it's high, like hypertonic pelvic floor. Maybe it's de-estrogenization that's causing symptoms. But the, some of these people who have no visible bulge externally are the most symptomatic ones. Yes. <laughs> I think it's it's helpful for people to um, get some feedback for themselves on, okay, you're not making this up. It's okay, you know, like recognizing that, yeah, you, you're having symptoms and maybe their doctor totally dismissed them, but my community is there to be like, hey, your symptoms matter. This is what yeah. I'm saying. Talk to your doctor about this or making suggestions of, hey, if you haven't been examined standing up, I'm seeing this in your standing picture. Why don't you go ahead and ask someone right. to standing? And, and it's, it's just a cool way for people to bounce ideas off of each other. And, mm -hmm. but I know what you're saying about like, do, do we perpetuate the looking because it's going to potentially increase people's symptoms? Do we want to emphasize people? Yeah. And I think it's important for diagnosing and I think it's important for people to know what is going on with their bodies. I think that's truly informed consent. Yeah. Uh, withhold what we see during an exam. I think that's a disservice. Um, so in that sense, I think it's important, but I also think it's important for people to not get hung up on a diagnosis because the diagnosis yeah. is not who they are. It is not their identity. Yeah, yeah. Especially I think of all the pelvic floor diagnoses or postpartum diagnoses, this one has the most fear surrounding it. Absolutely. And I've, I've noticed that I, um, I will offer to people, I said, do you want to see it or do you not want to see it? I'm like, we can look at it. Have you looked before? Do you think looking at it? will make things better or, and provide you information. So it's almost like a self-reflection, like is more information better for me? Mm -hmm. It, or is more information feeding the fear and where, where I live in the DC metro area, we're, we're a little type A over here. Um, so we think we need all the things, but we also were a little faster and anxiety is a little bit higher. And um, sometimes it doesn't, but that's where I think having that discussion, that informed consent that you mentioned, like I have an active conversation with people, but hey, we have this information. Do you think that this is going to be helpful or not? Considering fear can definitely play a role. So, yeah, I, but it, I, I'm just sitting here and I'm, I'm, I've done so much reflection this year on how far that we've come and not to seem like the old bitty, but literally like when you're like, oh yeah, when I got out of school, I knew about pressure management. I'm like, that wasn't a thing. It literally was not a thing until like 2016 or something. And just, I just, I, I, I and I think it, it's so important to recognize that it's been a surge really in these last, I don't know, seven, eight years or so that we would have patients that I, I talk about one where she came in, lovely conversation, mentioned she stuffed things in. I lift up the sheet. There's literally a rutabaga. It's a rectum on the table. I'm like, whoa, that is not physical therapy. That's surgical. Like no symptoms, but yet you have the mom that you have her in standing. You have in every different position. I can't find anything. Yeah. But she's like thinking she's crazy because she feels it. And like that acknowledgement that like you are feeling what you're feeling. Like there's so much value to that. Like dive into that a little bit, your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I hear this story constantly of, oh, I've been dismissed or my doctor told me what I'm feeling and seeing is normal. And mm -hmm. I, 
people all the time, it's really common what you're telling me. And it's sometimes that's just really important for patients to hear that I tell them, I've seen this so many times. Oh yeah. I, I hear this story all the time and then they don't feel alone, right? Um, and I think that it really perpetuates the um, increase in postpartum depression in people who've had oh, yeah. part of injuries because when you're being dismissed or not listened to, being told that you're crazy, that it's all in your head or that you're going to get better, but you feel like you can't trust your body, you're going to spiral. And I am, there's some research coming. I, I can't talk a ton about it, about mental health and prolapse, specifically prolapse diagnosis in the postpartum. Mm -hmm. And I, my hope is that if we can increase doctors' awareness that this condition increases people's postpartum depression and anxiety, mm -hmm. maybe some more appreciation for it and more treatment options earlier for people so that yeah. we can avoid the um, mental health component as best we can and yeah. support in this really vulnerable time. There, there's some great conversations. I, I know, you know, um, I'm blanking on her last name. Wow, Matrescence, Kimberly, who's yeah, now- Kimberly Johnson, yeah. Thank uh -huh. you. I was like, the last name is really common and I'm, I'm in the wrong file cabinet in my head. Um, she's done a ton of kind of just education and research and, and really kind of put her money where her mouth is on that one and has been super collaborative with our community about that conversation. Um, for you, knowing the stigmas around even finding a therapist, finding a therapist after, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic at this point too. Yeah. Um, and finding somebody that understands, like, are you talking about prolapse itself? Are you talking about, you know, expectations? Like how, how do you start that conversation with a mental health professional? Yeah, that's a really good question. I have Kaiser as my insurance. So I have an HMO and it took me three or four different tries of trying to tell them I need a perinatal therapist. And then they'd set me up with someone and I was really excited and I'd get on and they'd be like, oh, this is my background. And I'm like, okay, so are you a perinatal therapist? And they're like, no. Like, oh my God. So I'd get off that call, call Kaiser, perinatal therapist, finally found one. And that was life-changing. Someone who specializes in perinatal mental health disorders was really pivotal for me because they've also been, they've also listened to the stories over and over and over again. And they... So my therapist was the one who told me, I hear this all the time. What yeah. you're going is common, but not normal. And so the things that I tell my patients now, my mental health therapist told to me, and that was, I needed that. I needed someone who, who understood and who wasn't going to hear me talk about my intrusive thoughts and call CPS or, you know, right. concern. That is a very real concern that people That's don't think thinking of because they think that someone's going to take their baby away. Of course. Yeah. No, I just think that we were talking about babies not sleeping before we, we hopped on and my son did not sleep. I love him dearly. Um, thankfully we both survived this and we're headed into to teenage life, but I distinctly remember we, I would have to drive loops on this one particular part of um, a highway to get him to sleep. And I was like, Oh, there's a telephone pole. Hmm, interesting. And like, you, you're consciously like, okay, that's a really shitty thought. But like, hey, I'm got no sleep right now. But you you don't dare tell anybody because then they're gonna like do something, right? You're like, no, I really wouldn't do it, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, I similar story. I remember sitting on my in my bed one night. My husband's passed out asleep next to me, right? And then I'm holding this child who will not sleep, 
And I look at the or the window in my room and I go, oh, if I just punched that, I could go to the hospital and someone else would take care of my baby. Yeah. And sewed up. And then I was like, oh my God, that's not normal. This is not like, this is not a normal right. fight. I need help. And that right. was a big realize that. And I think it was a lot of the sleep deprivation that, that yeah. caused, as we know, sleep is so important for healing our body, right? If we're not sleeping, cortisol's high. We're in our sympathetic nervous system state all the time. And it's just this cascade of stress right. add on a birth trauma or postpartum trauma, the prolapse diagnosis on top of all that can seem so overwhelming. Well, and I, I think you bring up a really good point that I cannot wait till we figure this out in the literature is that's going into the pandemic and combining that with new mom life mm -hmm. with patients was really when I started to realize we're missing the boat on how we look at prolapse. It's always been historically, oh, you have to have pain with sex to have it be overactive pelvic floor. Well, keep in mind, most of these moms aren't having sex yet because you're freaked out by the whole thing and you're early postpartum. Um, so one of our primary indicators of overactivity or high tone or whatever we're calling it this week, I know everybody's still working on the terminology, um, isn't there. But in the beginning of the pandemic, having conversations with moms virtually saying, okay, let's be, let, let's pay attention to, we're all on fight or flight, pay attention to, are you breathing? Where's your tension? Can we just take the edge off a little bit? And having moms where their symptoms increased at the beginning, the first couple of weeks of the pandemic for us to be able, no, no hands here, like to get them to come down. I'm like, whoa. What is this? And having treated chronic pelvic pain for a long time, I'm like, there's got to be something here. But the, the the institution is like, no, 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 birth trauma, birth injury, it has to be, you got to do pelvic floor muscle training, you got to do Kegels and that sort of thing. And having some patients being like, no, either that doesn't do anything or that makes it worse. Yeah. Um, so looking at the research, like what are the things kind of looking ahead where you feel like these have been really aha moments since mm -hmm since you've been working in pelvic health or since you've been kind of working, um, you know, with yourself? I think the research that's co coming out about chronic pain is so applicable to most yeah. floor diagnoses. I really truly do. And the same language that I use to talk to my chronic low back pain patients, mm -hmm. I use pelvic patients. Yep. Because Prolapse is unique in that sometimes these people have, you know, recently had a baby and, and they're, they're in the acute phase of a diagnosis. But most pelvic patients, I would say, have had stuff going on for a long time and it's taken them a long time to get to us, right? Mm -hmm. So their condition is chronic. And so we have to talk about the nervous system. We right. have to talk about uh, central sensitization. Yeah. And we use that term a lot. So that means that um, your brain has a heightened state to whatever sensory info you're receiving from your body, right? And and yeah. it's it's is this a safe sensation or is this a threatening sensation, right? And we talk about this a lot with pain. So yes, it's your brain determines this is not safe, so it's painful. However, with pelvic disorders, it's not always pain. Right. So I feel this bulge. Now I'm not safe anymore. Yep. Now you think I lifted up my toddler that increased my bulge, that move is no longer safe for me. And you continue that cycle in your brain. And I like and to we protect. We protect, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Protect, we clench, we increase that tension. And that hiking trail that we just took from our brain of lifting something to prolapse symptoms, we run that trail, we run that trail, we run that trail. Yep. And you 
have to start weed whacking and breaking off of that trail to change yeah. your perception. Yep. Like you were saying just recently or just, you know, a minute ago that um, it reminded me of my favorite question I ask my patients. I say, why do you think your symptoms are greater today? Yeah. All to do is turn that dial to them mm-hmm. and, and tell me I'm really stressed. I didn't mm-hmm. see. And they will tell you the answer. We don't often have to figure it out. People know. and Of course they do. Of course they do. That's my favorite part about being a PT now is like, I'm not the expert here. I'm the one that's going to make sense of what you give me, but you have all the answers. It's just up to me to sort through it and figure it out and figure out what we're, you know, let's, let's find the path for it, which is fun because that's collaborating. That's coaching. That's like, you're getting there together instead of you do what I do because what I tell you to do because I'm the expert. <laughs> no. Yeah, I tell people that I'm the tour guide, but they walk the tour. They yeah. All right. And so I'm going like to show them the path um, and give them little tools and tips along the way, and they can take what works for them and leave what doesn't. Um, yeah. Or to get to the end. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that too. And, and again, I feel like this is all coming at a fun time too because we have this heightened sensitivity, this heightened awareness, how can we dampen it, mm. enter the pessary conversation? And I've been really vocal about, hey, I used to like make sure all my you know, ducks were in a row before I referred out because it would take so freaking long to get somebody fitted. Now we've got far more therapists um, navigating that and helping <laughs> with fitting. Um, and, and you and I know the logistical challenges on a lot of this, but, um, what I'm really excited about is can we get moms fitted sooner? Can we dampen the system? Can we avoid the fear? And then I'm playing with tapering moms out of them mm-hmm. now, yep. which is so freaking fun. Like, <laughs> yep. And so it talk to me about that. Yeah. 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 I love the tapering off of it because again, we're going to talk about the chronic pain conversation. It's great at exposure. Yeah. So conversation of exposing your body going, not, past your threshold, just right to your threshold to slowly push it up, up, up. Just like with any other training, you just think about, okay, you want to lift bicep curls, you want to do 20 pounds, you can't just lift them up and do them, you graded exposure and you increase your tolerance to something like that. I'm I'm smiling to myself and you have no idea why. Um, So February, I can tell you exactly when this was February 2014. Um, I, I can actually tell you the date. It was February 5th, 2014, Uh because I missed my son's third birthday. I got on a plane with my husband and my six month old daughter, and we went to Vegas for CSM. So I could, uh, be in a presentation with Sandy Hilton and Laura Mosley, and we could talk about how we were applying graded motor imagery, which was a freaking new topic. Yep. to pelvic pain. It was not talked about. And I'm like, you didn't know this. You did not no. know this at all. Right. No. So here we are sitting. What is it? Uh, what year are we in? 2023. Okay. So it's been not even 10 years and you're like, oh, of course, great motor imagery and pelvic pain. I was just like, freaking finally. <laughs> I love it. And no, I think it's, yeah, it's such an important and such an easy thing to, to touch, to teach people. About. Right. And that's that's. And, and that's where, again, like we, we talked a little bit before about how you went into ortho and sports first and then into pelvic. And 
I, I feel so bad for people that go straight into pelvic and don't have any of this other background because you're kind of missing the boat. Like even if you don't have neuro or whatever, like even peds, like mm-hmm. if you don't have something else to pull from, we've been bastardizing other areas for years to pull stuff over into pelvic health. Like yeah. it's fun. Like, yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. One of my coworkers has a background in, in neuro. And- yes taking that into the pelvic world is so cool. I'm like, whoa, that's really fascinating. I never thought to have a patient do this, um, use their nervous system to achieve this goal. Yes, Sarah Tanza, she's in California too. She goes by pelvic potential. She has that background as well. And she's just like, I can just sit and talk with her forever. Cause she's like, well, what about this? What about this? I'm like, yes. All right, so back to Petri. Sorry, I had a moment there where I'm like, you don't know this at all, but my literally my husband walked around with my my daughter in like Bjorn. And people are like making hangover jokes because this was right around when the hangover came out. And apparently babies aren't allowed at bars ordering drinks. So he was my milk. He was my milk uh, delivery person. So anyway, Laura Mosley, Sandy Hilton, hangover. That was my story. (laughs) Yeah. So pessaries. Let's talk about that. So I Mm am a huge, huge fan. Um, Yeah. The pessary fitting course from Taryn Hallam. And it was like totally life changing. Yeah excited to start fitting people with pessaries because for me, I got mine at week 11 postpartum, mm, which is early. Yeah, it is early. Yep. Because I advocated for it because I knew what it was. And mm. I feel like I had definitely had the benefit of, of that knowledge, but what it allowed me to do is exactly what you said, reduced my symptoms so that I was no longer fearful of movement yeah. and I start strengthening my body. I got so deconditioned postpartum oh, yeah. because I was so scared to move. All I did was sit on a rocking chair all day because my kid didn't sleep and I had to, you know, <laughs> contact nap 18 hours a day <laughs> and um, getting that pessary so that I could do bridges without symptoms. Right. So I walk five minutes around my block without symptoms changed everything for yeah. me. And that is what I want for other people. I want to reduce the symptoms so that we can change your nervous system, get moving, get the strengthening going, because without strengthening the rest of your body, it's really, really hard to improve prolapse symptoms. Yeah. And I think that's the catch 22 we were stuck in for a long time was (laughs) we couldn't get people stronger because they were told, okay, well, don't do this if you can't do it without symptoms. And then you're getting deconditioned more. Right. And more and then it becomes this like self-feeding thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I think this is going to push us forward in so many ways. Um, for you now, kind of thinking about, you know, when people are like, but is it going to, is the pessary going to be a crutch? Is it mm-hmm. going to like that? I get that one a lot. They think it's cheating. What's, right. what's your response to that? It's not, it sits above your pelvic floor muscles. It doesn't affect their ability to do their job. It actually improves their ability to do their job. And I talk about this patient a lot. So I have a patient who has a uh, unilateral avulsion, pretty significant prolapse early on, who was very, very, very symptomatic, got uh, a pessary quickly, which was wonderful. And then we were just curious and we did biofeedback together, mm-hmm. superficial biofeedback, electro, um, the sensors. And we tested her in standing with her pessary in she had pretty, pretty okay pelvic floor contraction. She took her pessary out and we tested it again standing and she could not contract her pelvic floor at all. Uh, because imagine it's the weight of the organs on the muscles. Yeah. 
speak, they can't contract to lift up the organs, but because they were lifted, now all of a sudden there's freedom for her pelvic floor to contract underneath it. And that was game changing. And I was like, hey, leave that sucker in. You're always gonna exercise with that bad boy in. Yep. Going to improve your pelvic floor's muscle, muscle contraction ability because it's not trying to hold your bladder up as you're yeah. as pelvic floor muscle training. Yeah, it's take it one step further. I have a, a wonderful client. We worked together through a couple of kids and um, uh, her husband owns a gym, so she's got ready access to everything. And um, we've figured out, because there can't be hormone flux, obviously, with symptoms. My my symptoms tend to be hormonally mediated to a degree. Um, once you figure that out, that's life altering too. But she figured out that for when her symptoms were worse, like normal symptoms, she would have one size pessary and then she would size up <laughs> for that hormone shift. And, yeah. you know, she figured that out. And that's been life altering for a lot of patients too, because like, you don't have to have just one. Yep. And again, yep. I think that's where easy access, um, lower pricing, you know, being able to get it quickly. And even a lot of the over the counter options that we have now, I've been playing with even, um, I've had clients that uh, have been playing with like the menstrual discs and things like that. So that yep. It's just giving them just enough support to not feel like they're all hanging out there and symptomatic and so on, which I think, again, like the more we play with this stuff instead of just keeping things in silos is is so yeah. important. I really what think I, a study about pessary use early on with prolapse mm -hmm. because there was one study, but it had really poor, um, the, the, of course, the postpartum patients stopped coming to the clinic because they had- I can't to imagine why. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I would love to see a study that actually looked at that more because I yeah. think change physicians' uh, opinions about whether they're useful postpartum or not. Well, I, again, you know, thanks, Christina Previtt, to being like, hey, methodology, 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 um, and anybody else who talks about it too. Like, if I, I have a feeling that if you go at it almost more from a PT perspective, um, anybody wants to do that research, um, you're if if someone understands how this is going to be helpful, that's going to, I think, in, and they get that feedback that, hey, when I use this, this is better. You're going to get better. Um, you're just going to have better compliance because people feel the results. Yep. And, and I understand, you know, blindness, whatever with studies. It, but I, I, I just feel like we have such a better opportunity to educate and be like, hey, this is the opportunity. We're going to use this. We don't need to use it all the time or, you know, whatever. Then physicians being like, here's a device. Let me fit it be on your way. Like it's just, it, it and again, kind of making that connection to orthotic fitting, it's kind of the same thing. So mm -hmm. really it should be our wheelhouse. Um, another question that comes up, I would love to hear what you yeah. say to patients is, um, is my organs, are my organs going to go back? Mm, that's such that's, a good question. <laughs> that, that comes up a lot. Talk to me about what your answer is for that. So I tell them that for some people, they do have an improvement in their the anatomical position of their organs, some, but it's not the majority. It's not the majority by far, honestly. Um, but anecdotally and through the 200 plus images I have, I can also tell you that a lot of people postpartum do more than someone who's in menopause. Yeah. But can I look at someone and say, they're going to improve their anatomy and they're not? No, I can't. I wish there was a way to do that. But what's important for people to know is that that doesn't mean that their symptoms aren't going to change. Right. Just because the prolapse itself might not reduce in its greater stage, it doesn't mean that that's going to be your forever situation. Mm -hmm. And that's really 
grasp because they think, well, if it's always going to be there, I'm always going to feel it. But this right. comes from the central sensitization and no, your brain, you know, we can, we can teach your brain that this sensation you're feeling isn't threatening. We can, yep. we can use symptom management strategies. We can use that pessary to get your yep. organs a little bit. And the innervation of the, of the vagina is really interesting. That distal third is like the rest of our body, right? And mm -hmm. the inner is not. And so if we can use a pessary to get the organs back up into those two thirds or use pelvic floor muscle training or all these other strategies that we have, um, we can significantly reduce someone's symptoms. But if it doesn't look any different, it's not it's not a bad thing. But it's so hard for people. Yeah. To well, I think a, a couple of things. One is um, I'll ask back. I'm like, does it matter? Or right. If you had not looked would you not have noticed? And then the other thing is when I ask people, I'm like, when did you first, how did you first understand what was going on with the organs? And typically it's that like, almost like heavy pelvis picture we all got in like fifth grade, sixth grade health class, right? The very static one. And even that's one that we use a lot with patients to show them where the organs are. And people think of it as very static. I'm like, do you know your organs move throughout the day? Like when you bend forward, things get out of the way. When your rectum fills with poop, when your bladder fills with urine, when your uterus filled with a baby, like you got a neighborhood that the borders can change and the neighbors can go over it. Like you're gonna move a ton throughout the day. Does it matter? But people don't think about it. It's literally, and and I, I would love if I had one, one, one wish that would like fix all the things in the world. But like one wish would be to put myself in a brain that did not understand mm. how we understand the body. Now I want to feel that like innocence, that lack of understanding just so I can appreciate it again, because I think we jump to a lot of like, of course, you know, that it moves and think that no, it's static fifth grade healthcare class image. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, you're right. And things, that's why I like the word, shift for talking about prolapse I yeah never they're falling well yep. no oh, totally falling is like you're going off the cliff uh, it's over yeah i like Dead. the word shift because our whole body is shifting all the yeah. time all along and yeah i think it's great to to use that as an example and and help people understand that yeah maybe that's why in this position you you feel something more or oh my gosh so many people tell me they go oh yeah i was doing my internal release and i felt I felt my poop through the back wall of my vagina. Is that normal? I'm like, heck yeah, that's normal. I feel that. Like I, my I hope you had a good poop afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, your rectum and your vagina, they're buddies. They like right next, they're next door. Right? Yeah, rooms, totally. They rent rooms of the same house. Okay. Exactly. So normal, but helping people realize that. Cause yeah, a lot of times we don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think, oh, maybe I should tell this person, oh, you stick your finger in there. You might feel your poop. I don't, right. You know, I don't feel right to that. <laughs> well, that's where, again, I will credit um, Don Sandalcidi, who is like the, the godmother of um, pediatric pelvic health. I learned so much about like adult stuff by understanding pediatrics. My son yeah. went through a lot of bedwetting. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole in, con in uh, constipation and whatnot. You yeah. really learn like a lot, like I will start with poop all day long. Like if we clean that up, everything else gets a whole lot better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's another, that's another one of those questions where I ask people, why do you think your symptoms are worse? And they're like, well, I was a little constipated. Yeah. Well, ding, ding, ding. Okay. What can we do about mm. that? I give it back yeah. to them again. What's helped you in the past? Yeah. What can we help? But I, I love that that creates self-agency, like, yeah. and self-understanding and the ability to problem solve 
Mm -hmm. um, that you're not reliant on someone else to fix you. And we could have a whole hour conversation on that. Um, <laughs> but I think that's another one that's a carryover from, you know, working with chronic pain is, um, and I think a question that a lot of us need to ask ourselves as providers is, are we the fixer or, or are we the, the collaborator and the tour guide is, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. Cause I think a lot of us want to fix and heal the world, but at the same time, do we serve our patients better alongside them? Yeah. Um, yeah. And having that experience like yeah. you and I have had, um, it definitely changes that outlook. You, I think the empathy and sympathy and I don't know, like not that I was a bad therapist before, but like you get it in a way that you can't explain to anybody else. <laughs> I think what's important about that is also giving people honest timelines for healing. I yes. tell people all the time, you know, they're like, when am I going to feel better? I'm like, well, let me tell you about my story. I thought mm -hmm. I felt 12 months postpartum. Now that I'm two years, I look back and I'm like, I did not feel like myself at 12 right. months. Two years to feel like I was sleeping enough. My strength was mm -hmm. back. My gut was feeling better. It took so long. And for them to hear that from a pelvic health therapist, they're like, oh. Right. Oh. Well, now let's let's jump ahead a few more years. My kids are, are 10 and 12. I'm going into Perry and mm. crazy weird hormone stuff. I'm far more active. Wow. Um, you still have issues with constipation. You still have like the, 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 just normal life stuff that occurs. But if you understand how to navigate it early, then later on, it's so much easier. Like as long as you don't promise people, like as soon as this is over, you, you will never have to deal with it the rest of your life. No, it's just not a thing for me anymore because I know how to navigate it. I know that like, keep your diet straight, girl, eat the things that you need to do, stay active and you don't have to worry about it. But you know, things happen. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point too. Cause so many people ask me, am I going to be dealing with this for the rest of my life? Not in the and, same way. Yeah. And the, the answer is like, you're not going to be dealing with it in the same capacity. Yeah, absolutely. But there might be times where your symptoms come back. Mm -hmm. There might be, or you go out to eat and you eat something and you have diarrhea and your gut is messed up. Yeah. Okay, well, there's going to be times when you have prolapse symptoms again, there's yep. going to be times you didn't wear your sunscreen and you got a sunburn and you messed up your integumentary system and you've, you know, it's right. just, our lives are not stagnant. And I, I, I hate that people think that we can just help them heal and they're going to be a hundred percent and they're never going to deal with it again. But you have to look at your whole life and all of our organ systems are always changing. And that's, that's the beauty of life, you know, and you learn how to manage these things. That that could be another podcast too. Cause yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like, like, you know, I'm, I'm looking ahead. My kids can wipe their own butts. Like I can leave them for, you know, however long at home and, and not get sent to child protective services, like that sort of thing. Like your body will change. You get older, things get different. I feel like that's another thing that like, you don't think about when you're younger. No, you don't. And a lot of my, like, some of my postpartum patients are, like, in their 40s. And I'm like, okay, so is this a pelvic thing or are we talking about aging? Is this something that's, mm -hmm. like, maybe very menopause now? Even though I know mm -hmm. you're postpartum, you're also right on the cusp mm -hmm. of yep. hormone situations, too. And it's it, sometimes you say that to someone and they're like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I not even think about that coming up in my life soon. And it's important to turn that mirror a little bit and help people reflect. Yeah. And, and a little... Uh foreshadowing here if you thought postpartum was a dumpster fire menopause like I, I thought I could like put my revolution crap down for like a hot second and I can't so like we'll be working on that we'll let you know how that plays out okay <laughs> I'll come back to you in like a decade and be like Gary help me sounds good I got you girl we're, we're, we're gonna get it going we'll, we'll get it all fixed before you get there so
All right. At the end of every episode, we ask everybody questions. Um, first one, book you're reading or podcast you're listening to right now. I am. Well, my favorite podcast I'm always listening to is Maintenance Phase. Do you listen to mm. Maintenance? Mm -mm. Oh, gosh, it's it's hilarious. They they debunk the wellness industry, basically. Oh, nice. they just, okay. Yeah, take, uh, you know, wh whatever it may be. And they they do a really good job about the methodology of, of the background of some cool. of the things in the industry, you know, like the uh, low carb diets or the okay. low and they they really talk about and then i love the, the reflection on societal change because of some of those things and a lot of my older you know people who are already in menopause we talk about their diets and their guts and i'm like oh man you are stuck in the the 90s era of uh diet fad right and so it's it's just an interesting um perspective it makes me think about my patients a lot i'm reading um see if i can get the title correct it's how to talk so your kids will listen and how to oh, listen yeah. to people talk mm -hmm. yeah so kid is starting to, to speak more and we're figuring out how to communicate <laughs> and uh -huh. it's hard and I'm, I'm getting into uh -huh. the practice of um it's very repetitive of saying the same things over and over to him so that I get my my verbiage correct and my husband and I are working on how we communicating and it's actually helping our own communication and even the way I talk to my patients I'm like oh this is a really good strategy just for talking to humans in general not just kids mm -hmm. um, like you and I have talked about this whole entire hour that the way we speak and the way that we use our language is really, really important for our patients yeah. as well. Um, and so that's been, that's been helpful reflection for me. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's, and, and again, that changes too. my son who's almost 13. He will talk to me sitting next to me in the car or next to me on a walk, but to sit down and have these conversations does not occur. I have learned that. Um, and created space in our day so that occurs. So uh, again, when you get to that stage, call me, I got you. <laughs> All right, what piece of advice for new moms? Um, be honest with the people around you. Mm. If you have a thought or you going through something, just say it, just get it out there. You don't need to hold it in, even if you think someone's gonna think you're crazy or uh, you don't think anyone else is going through it, because that's probably not true. And the people yeah. around you really want to be there to help you. Um, but they don't know exactly what's going on inside. Yeah. So just letting someone know. It can be as simple yeah. as I'm having a really hard day with my anxiety. Or I just had this thought about the baby falling off of the you know the changing table and it scared me. And and, and putting things out is is really important. That's that's good advice. All right, favorite activity since becoming a mom. Oh my gosh. Um, it doesn't have to involve your kid. <laughs> Involve my kid. Okay. Um, activity since becoming a mom. You know what? I know this is kind of silly, but um, I love. I'm doing a lot more FaceTiming with my older friends that I don't see as often. Ah, cool. And I love it. I'm like really prioritizing instead of seeing them in person because I just mm -hmm. don't have the that. I'm right. prioritizing calling them on the phone and FaceTiming, and um, it's been really wonderful kind of like just normal staple of our lives sometimes mm -hmm. my son hey let's call you know call a call before bed and for nicole my friend nicole and he wants to yeah. like friends at night before he goes to bed oh, that's and so sweet and it's a way to stay connected with people who i don't get to see in person as much oh i have uh one of my best friends from pt school she was a year behind me um that we talk at like 6 6 30 in the morning because that's when yeah. we have time yep yeah, um, yeah. She's got two that started college this year. So I joke because she studied off my test in PT school and then she started her business and had kids before me. So I figured that's a fair trade. So 
All right, who is someone in our space, pregnancy, postpartum, prolapse, who should we know about? Well, I was gonna mention uh, Kimberly Johnson, but we already talked about her. Yeah, she's, she's been on this show. She was one of my earlier guests, so Kim's awesome. Yeah, yeah I just think that the work that she's doing is really important and she has um, an avulsion of her levator ani, and I think that we don't talk about enough. No. That means and how that changes things for people. And we didn't get into that today, but um, I really love that she talks about how her symptoms fluctuate and she's not asymptomatic, but what yep. that looks like for her in her day-to-day -day life. And so if that's you and you've, you're one of those people who maybe you've tried to reduce your symptoms and you still have them occasionally here and there and, and it freaks you out, she's a wonderful person to just follow her life because she gets yes. really good just daily. She's lovely. Daily so yeah. generous with her time and she was also very open about her second pregnancy and postpartum and that sort of thing which i really appreciate her vulnerability and and having discussions that can be hard so yeah, yeah. i'm a huge huge fan as well yeah. all right last one what does it mean to you to be an active mom in postpartum i was listening to some of your other podcasts and i i heard this question and i've been thinking about it because this was really hard for me because I did not want to move my body. I didn't know how yeah. to trust my body and I'm going to get really emotional. Um, I didn't enjoy moving my body. Yeah. And I love my body. I loved moving it. And so um, to me, it meant that it wasn't the, the way I moved my body postpartum is not the same and that's okay. And I found other ways to move my body that were joyful and that felt good but it it was a practice so to me yeah. being um postpartum means that i'm gonna learn something new about myself uh, and that's okay because my body is different my body is new um but that i i could find something that i enjoyed again um yeah. and to not give up on your body either oh my gosh that's such a like mic drop right there like and thank you again for being so vulnerable with sharing your story and then turning that into advocacy yeah. within your field and profession and wanting to learn more. Um, I, I, I'm sorry that this is how it happened, but yeah. ha having been a person that kind of similar experience, um, I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, and, and hopefully thousands upon thousands of women will benefit from all the things that you've learned in your experience. Um, and, and we thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing. Yeah. So Thanks if you want to, Learn more about Margot and uh, what she's offering and sharing um, her community. You can find her over at postpartum underscore prolapse over on Instagram. Um, thank you so much Aww. for being on Margot Kwiatkowski. I said your name right. Um, and and I, I have a feeling we have a few other conversations when these days we'll meet in person yeah. and we can dive into some of this other stuff because I think we have a lot more to chat about. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Carrie. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell a friend to do the same. Are you a postpartum mom or postpartum pro wanting to know more about getting back to running after baby? Check out all my free goodies on carriepagliano.com. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Carrie Pagliano and her guests to the show. The content should not be taken as medical advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.